And then uh, we always study the scriptures, and uh, I'm so excited about who's sharing today. Many of you who were here last week heard him tell his story a little bit, um, but uh, he's just an amazing, passionate guy who loves Jesus and has just a powerful story, and so you guys are going to be blessed. Will you please welcome Ryan Chaps Brain. All right, microphone check. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan, and I've come with uh, my beautiful wife right there, Jeanette. She looks like she's in the youth group, but she's actually, we're actually uh, adults. I have four children, and they're probably running around somewhere. And and all of you are, are, are friends. It's good to see you. We flew in from Germany last week. This is a good place to stand. We flew from Germany, so uh, guten Morgen. <laughs> Thanks to your taxpayer dollars, you get to travel all over the world. So we're here, and I have a conference next week. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna serve every day and and reconnect with family and, and friends. Um, the title of my of my message today is my 365 days of grief. So just a little little background. Uh, and many of you were there. When we, when we buried uh, my dad last year. 365 days. It's been, it's crazy to believe how we were all together in, 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 the, in the church building and, and memorializing my dad. Um, I'm actually, I feel really overdressed because in the Philippines, this is called the Barong Tagalog. This is like a tuxedo. Uh, it's my dad's. So my mom said, why don't you wear this tomorrow? I said, that's awesome. So, yeah, it's coming up on one year. Um, and then I'm going to talk about what this journey's been like this past 365 days. And then I'm going to preach the gospel. I've never wrestled so hard on a, on a sermon before. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to hijack the situation and put forth some political agenda or, or push some sort of dogmatic theology. This, this is a sacred space. It's meant for preaching the gospel. It's meant for encouraging. It's meant for it's meant for um, giving hope. So in the quiet of this moment, would you would you can we all just take a deep breath together? And, and we are all one breath closer to meeting the Lord. We are all one breath closer, one second closer. I'm going to begin by teaching you uh, something that I've learned called re relational prayer. And, and it goes like this. And you can bow your head and pray this with me. It, it goes something like this. Uh, Dear Lord, can you relate to me? Because I'm in... I'm in some pain. I'm going through some grief, some sadness and loss. Do you know what that's like to be in my shoes? And then we just leave a little bit of space for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So Lord, as you remind me of, of who you are and who I am, and who you are in me and who I am in you, Oh, would you comfort me 
in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my grief. Amen. Amen. So, and, and God's going to continue to do that, right? He's going to, when I, when I did that, um, he started to give me, like, download, like, like Troy said, download all these things to my mind, like, oh my gosh, he can relate. He has experienced pain. There's a Latin phrase called memento mori. And it means, remember that you must die. One of the verses that's been ringing in my head is, is Psalm 90, 12. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Like thinking every day, like, this is, this is I'm not here forever. Thinking every day, like, my, my, my days are numbered. One of my dad's favorite verses was Hebrews um, it's 12.9 it's for uh, it's appointed for a man to die once and after that to face judgment so every day we're going like oh God, this is I'm not here forever in fact I've heard it said that this is just the layover okay <laughs> this is just the layover it's all about the final destination it's all about the kingdom of God it's all about the kingdom of heaven it's not even really about the church. It's about this is just a this is just a, a short temporary time. It's, it's about the kingdom of God. Um, can Jesus relate? It reminds me of Isaiah 53. My wife gave me this verse yesterday. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lot, like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before shears. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and he had not spoken deceitfully. This, this whole chapter talks about how, how the Lord, the Messiah, can, can relate to everything we're going through. So in this room, I bet there's a span of different types of backgrounds, different types of theologies. We have young, we have... We have uh, old, we have all, everybody, there's different backgrounds here. It's pretty diverse in here. But there's one thing that we all share in common is that if you live life long enough, you're going to experience some sort of pain, some sort of grief, some sort of loss. And all those things are universal. I mean, I've traveled the whole world and I see that grief is the same in every culture. It looks the same everywhere you go, no matter what language you speak. And so the healing is also the same. The solution is also the same to our griefs, to our wounds. What are we gonna, what are we gonna do with those pains? That's, that's the main point about today. What are, what are we gonna do with that pain? One of my favorite authors, uh, Father Richard Rohr, he said that pain not transformed is often transferred. And so when I look at the way I've, I've behaved over, over my life, but particularly the past year, and I, I realized that my, my behavior sometimes is a manifestation of me operating out of my wounds. And, and when I'm operating out of my wounds, then I'm, then I'm engaging in deflection, which is taking up anger on innocent people, i.e. My, 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 my children or my, my wife. It can, it can do in some sort of reaction, things that are just stirring up deep within me because there are wounds from early on. Um, if, 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 you, if you and I were to sit down and I were to tell you my, my story, I would tell you about um, a long time ago I experienced some injustice um, as, as a kid and I've kept those wounds with me. So every time I see injustice now, I get fired up. 
When I see people done wrong, I get fired up. When I see people being lied to, I get, I get fired up and you can see me on a rant. And so this whole past year, it's been, I've had gospel moments where I've said, you know, my, my eyes are on the Lord. Yes, he's, he's my comfort. He is my joy. And I've had moments where I'm talking for 30 minutes about how dumb I think things are in the world right now. Or how there's some sort of, you know, some people might call it a conspiracy or anything. That I, I can spend 30 minutes going on a rant about everything I think is wrong and the Holy Spirit's whisper. You know, tugging me and nudging me and saying, hey, that's not what this opportunity is for. It's actually a kingdom moment. So when people should be hearing the gospel, I'm actually doing some, some sort of conspiracy or what I think is wrong. And, and so that's me. I'm just going to be completely honest and, and open kimono here. I, I wrestle, and I'm going to preach the word today, right? But I have to read you into my story so that you can know the depth of my wound and, and why I why I so desperately every day am falling at the feet of Jesus saying, I need you because I'm going, I'm going crazy here. And I don't understand why this happened, but I do know that you're in control. And, and my transcendent God, by definition, is he's not limited to what I'm capable of understanding. So I go to the word and I find healing here because if my pain is not transformed, then it'll be transferred. Another one of my favorite passages as Matt Chandler says, at, at, at the end of the day, the heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. It's actually Jesus who said that. Jesus talks about what you want to talk about lust, but it actually starts in your heart. All, everything that manifests into behavior, first and foremost, starts in our heart. So, so here's what's going on. Here, here's what I've wrestled with. I'm thinking about what's going on all around me. I see it on the news, when I used to watch the news, I see it around, I see how people are acting, and I'm focused on what's going on around me, and I'm forgetting what's going on inside of me. And what's going on inside of me is what Jesus is after, and when we open up the Beatitudes today, it's all about the heart. There's one more, one more saying I'll, I'll, I'll give you, it's, if we don't heal what hurt us, we will bleed all over those who didn't cut us. So, 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 so like grief and angry outbursts and all these things, guilt, anger, grief, jealousy, when they come up and out of my body and, and they start affecting people, it's sort of like a grace gift for me. It's sort of like a check engine light. You know, you have that annoying check engine light, it's flashing red, it's like, we, I can put a band-aid over it and cover it or just smash that light and I'll have to look at it. Or I can say, there's something going on here. I, I better pull over and see what it is and maybe get some subject matter experts to pop the hood and look at it. Right? So this past year of grief, I've heard all kinds of good advice and bad advice. One of the things that, that, that I was told a lot is that, you know, a time heals wounds. But I'm not convinced that that's true. Like, if you get a flat tire, time is not going to heal that thing. It's not, it's not going to get better. You, you have to do something with it. And the scriptures are so relevant, it tells us what to do with our pain. So with that, let me just spend a little bit of time telling you my story, okay? And then I'm gonna, and the rest of the time, we're gonna, we're gonna get into the word, we're gonna dissect it, and then apply it, see how it works today. Okay, May 20, May uh, 22, 2021, my dad calls me, okay? And um, he says, hey son, I got, I, I got COVID. And my reaction, first of all, is, is like, so? Who cares, Dad? I mean, I've done the research. I used to work at Camp Pendleton, and I, every single religious accommodation had to go through my desk. Every single one. If, if, a, if a marine or sailor wanted a religious accommodation, they had to come through my desk. I had to read their packet. I had to s s 
say, I think this person is sincere in their religious convictions. So, I mean, just in my camp alone, there's like 4,000 people in there. I'm reading a lot of packages. I'm getting really smart, really fast over the past two years. I'm reading a lot of info, right? So um, I, I have a different perspective on, on, uh, on the pandemic, on shots, and, and um, this is probably the most controversial thing I'll say in this, but, but I think a lot of this stuff is just, it doesn't pass the logic test, right? It wasn't passing the logic test. Like, why, why, why? And I don't need to go there because you already know what, what, what I'm thinking. So as I'm reading these packages, I'm going, oh my gosh. HEK293, aborted BSLs, Bayer's reports, and all these things. So I started to question it. So that's why I said to my dad, hey, don't worry about it. 99% survival rate. You're not going to die of this thing. Right? And so anyways, he calls me. He goes, he gets a fever, he goes into the hospital, and then they give him some sort of home remedy, and then, and then he goes home, and he's back and forth, get a fever, and then he goes back on day 15, because I asked my mom to send me her journal. Um, I'm looking at this stuff. Day 15, they give him a drug called Remdesivir. Okay, does anybody know Remdesivir? They send a reaction, you know. I didn't, we didn't know at the time. We're just like, okay, well, whatever. They give President Trump Remdesivir. But at day 15, some doctors say that's lethal, right? Trying to give your dad it, and the doctor said, I would never give it after day four because it's legal. They give him that 15. I'm looking at the journal, it says first dose, second dose, third dose, fifth, fifth dose, five doses of this thing called Remdesivir. I start to do more research because people are handing me this information, and I don't know what to do. I'm like, okay, thanks. I'm going to read through your package. I see in the New England Medical Journal that this thing, this drug, killed 53% of people in Ebola trials. That's crazy. That's crazy. But Dr. Fauci deemed it as the, as the premier drug, and, he, and they, they sort of demonized ivermectin, which is $10. This one's $3,000. All these things running through my head, right? And at the same time, this whole time, I'm like, Lord, what, what, where should my, my focus be? And then I'm like getting angry and getting rants. And I'm back and forth. For, this, is for, this is for two years. So my, my dad goes in and out of the hospital, and then he gets, he gets pneumonia. At the time, I'm like, wow, that's, that's, that's bad, pneumonia. Um, now some studies show that Brandesivir causes pneumonia. So I was sitting in a parking lot up in up off Pico. I was it was June twenty fourth, and the Holy Spirit said to me, "Hey, get up and go see your dad. He's in Kaiser and I." Nobody told me anything. I just I texted my wife and I said, "I don't know why I'm crying, but I I, I need to go. I need to go to Kaiser Kaiser and see my dad." Nobody told me anything. I just had to go. And I didn't tell anybody. I just texted that I'm not going to be home um, for dinner. I just I need to go. I don't know why I'm crying, but I need to go. So I drive up there. I see my mom. She's surprised to see me. Um, she's devastated. And, and then I have my last conversation with my dad that, that Friday. I didn't know he was going to die 48 hours later. Um, before that, a few weeks before that, he had, de he had been deemed COVID free. Everybody can come see him, visit the hospital, even though it was pretty, pretty strict back then. So uh, we, it was Sunday the 27th, and we were walking into the building of our church. The door was right there, and, the lab, and I saw Uncle Mike, he was right there. And I, as soon as I was about to hit the door, I said, I, I had that feeling again, we have to go. And so I turned around, and I said, Uncle Mike, remember that Uncle Mike? I said, I gotta go to the hospital. And the last thing Uncle Mike said to me is, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you, brother. With, with almost tears in your eyes, I'm praying for you, brother. And we went up there, and then uh, I was the third person in the room, and then when I walked into the room, my mom and my aunt were walking out, and I said, hey, how's, how's, how's that? And uh, my mom turned to me, and she said, oh, he's been promoted to glory. And I was, I, I was, it just hit me. It hit me so hard. I was like, he's, he's gone, 
And I had a lot of shame over the next few weeks. I was like, I didn't want to tell anybody that he died and was related to anything COVID. It's just this low-grade shame. And I was like, ah, what is that? Um, so, so, so fast forward, um, my mom asked me to look into the, to this drug and he wasn't treated well. And, and I didn't want to because I said, what's that going to do? But as, I, as more packages, as I moved across the, the, the world, I started reading more packages. And I, that's, that's what I'm kidding around as your research. Uh, we get the death certificate back, right? He had no COVID. We get the death certificate back and it says COVID death. And it says COVID pneumonia. And then, and then it says he's soft reading. So the, the, those, the, those three things on the death certificate. And that's when the red light started to flash. So, so this whole thing is, right? I believe it was the enemy wanting, getting me focused on what's going around me. And God wants me to focus on what's going on inside me. So I came across this passage. Now, okay, so that's, that's that, okay? I'm just, I gave you my stories so you can see the depth of why I dive into the scriptures and why I need to every day. So every time I watch the news, I get, I get boiled up. Every time I see someone doing something or, or, or acting a certain way, I go like, I see them as sort of like, are you, are you in on it? And that's not right. They weren't in on it. It's, but this is how, this is where I am. This is what grief does. The experts define grief as the, the mix of emotions that happens when something changes. And, and kids can experience grief too. Like how many times have you had to move? When you, when you, when you end a school year, that's grief. When your dog dies, that's grief. When, when you're, when you, you're, I mean, how many of you have lost a loved one in here? A lot of us, a lot of us. What do we do with that grief? So I came across this, this passage here. It's, it's Matthew 5. You can open there with me. We're going to spend the, the majority of our time here now, the rest of our time. This is called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, the word Beatitudes, uh, it, it comes from, well, that's a Latin, it's a Latin word, Beatus, which means blessing. But really, it was originally written in the Greek language, and the, and the word is makarios. Makarios means blessed. It's like, it's, I translate it as, it's the good life. I looked up hashtag blessed on, uh, on YouTube and on Instagram. On Instagram, there's 143 million hashtags for blessed. Only a couple were like Bible verse related. The rest was just like someone on the beach called like, you know, bless. And it's so much deeper than that. There's a distinction between happiness and joy. I think actually happiness is a cheap substitute for joy because happiness is based off of happenings and joy is based off of perspective. Like we as believers or whoever you are, you can you can be blessed, you can be have joy regardless of your circumstance because the scriptures tell us that blessing and joy is based off of perspective, not what's actually happening around you. See, it's all about what's happening in you instead of around you. So. Jesus is so counterintuitive in his language. Like these, these beatitudes are so um, opposed, they're so countercultural. Because the world looks at these eight categories here and, and they go, sucks to be that guy or girl. And Jesus says, actually, they're blessed. It's actually the opposite. So, so Macarius is a blessing. If, if I, it's hard to translate things from, from ancient languages until, until now because they're so deep in, in meaning. But there's, there's another word. I want the view, I'm persuaded by the view that, that Makarios, that blessing here in this passage, refers to shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word for when, when things before the fall, there was shalom. There was peace. There was no brokenness. 
And it's really a, a life of human flourishing in, in the greatest sense. So, so you have Makarios, blessing, shalom. I think Jesus here is basically saying, you know, you want to know what the good life is, the real good life? It's this. And then he goes and he says eight things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger for the, for, and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every evil thing against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, um, as, as paradigm um, harps so much on the Bible and, and studying the Bible in its context, um, that's, how, that's the only way to study the Bible. And there's a specific context here that Jesus is talking about for the background of this morning. But I want to ask you, what, what do you think a first century Jew would be thinking about when they hear Jesus' words here, this sermon? Like, what is preoccupying their mind space? The first century Jew, okay? Maybe it's, hey, Jesus, uh, how long do we have to put up with this corrupt government? Jesus, how, why, how long do we have to put up with these, with these senseless mandates of paying tax collectors who are traitors? They trade, they turn on us. Uh, Jesus, how many people have, how many more people have to die because this corrupt Roman government killing people? Jesus, how, how, how much longer is this going to take? Why don't you come and liberate us from this? Why don't you come and make Israel great again? Right? What? That's, that's what they're wondering. That's, come on. But what kind of Messiah is this? Did you come and slaughter these people? Come and end this regime? That's what they're thinking about. Can you relate to a first century Jew? Sort of. You know, I was in Germany. I say this all the time. I go, you know, 80 years ago in this very land, man, that was horrific. Yeah. And one guy told me, he, he goes, we're just following the rules. And I go, you know what, 80 years ago, he said the same thing. We're just following orders. There's two types of people. People who, who do what's right no matter what they're told, and people who, who do what they're told no matter what's right. And I want to be, I want to be the, the first one. I want to do what's right no matter what's, no matter what I'm told. How do I know what's right? Well, that's what these scriptures are for. And so when I'm so distracted in the midst of my grief, I have to go back to the scriptures. I have to go and pray. I have to, I have to dig deep down in this thing. The, the one passage I want to focus on today is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The, the original word here for mourn is pentheo. So there's a lot of words for grief. This is the most intense one. It refers to grief that comes from losing a loved one. Did you know that? And I looked at how many times does Matthew use this thing? He only uses it twice. He uses it here, and he uses it in Matthew 9.15. So I'm thinking, so in, in Bible study, I see how the author uses the word, and then I see how the larger literature uses the word, and then I see how it was used in the first century, and then I go, and I see how it was used all the way back to the Old Testament. But there's here, uh, the first context here 
is we can't understand this morning apart from the previous verse, like the verse right before it. And the verse right before it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor? Anybody seen someone who's, who's really poor? Right? They, they, they need to ask for things. They really have nothing to offer. To be poor in spirit means I have nothing to offer God. He has everything to offer me. I don't really need him. He doesn't really need me. I need him. That's, that's what it means to be poor in spirit. It's a state of humility. And when I look at the Old Testament, uh, in Isaiah 57, 15, says this, For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place, and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit. This is where God is. For those who are lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. If you look at Isaiah 66, 2, um, this, is, this is also um, prophetic. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. So, so there's two types. Of, there's, this can go one of two ways. This is what I really wrestled with. So mourning here, the word is used for someone who lost a loved one, right? And you could love your dog and lose your dog, and it's still that same type of deep grief. When I lost my dad, who was 66 years old, I felt robbed. I felt like someone punched me in the chest. And I was like, that's not supposed to happen. I really felt robbed. And there are people in this, there are people in this audience. I know a lot of you. I know you've lost spouses. I know you've lost parents. And, and in your mind and in my mind, it shouldn't have happened. It happened too soon. Some of you have buried children. When I, when I was here last year, I was a part of 25 memorials that amphibious assault vehicle that sunk and killed nine service members. It's part of that memorial. In Afghanistan, at the Abbey Gate, the 10 that died, nine Marines and one Corman died in Afghanistan. I'm still in contact with the parents who have had to bury their children. The grief is real, it's intense. And what do we do with that? So, Jesus tells us something that seems absurd. Why is it blessed to mourn? It doesn't make any sense. The world says, I don't want to mourn. Well, there's a lot of blessing in the midst of mourning because they shall be comforted. I was comforted in three ways. I was comforted through, through um, scriptures, like the next day, I was, I was on walking on the beach, and the Lord just gave me a verse. It was so amazing. I'll share it with you. Isaiah 57, 1. Here's what it was. It was, I was sitting right in front of cottons. And I was sitting there, and I was like, look at this verse. The righteous person perishes, and no one takes it to heart. The faithful are taken away. No one realizing that the righteous person is taken away to be spared from evil. I've never even heard that verse isn't that pretty awesome? Yeah. I've also been comforted through people. It's the scriptures as expressed through people. And I've also been comforted through his presence. So, so this morning here, also, we have to study a text in its context. I think the morning here is also tied to the previous verse. So those who are known there are, are poor in spirit, it's really, it's really us being in touch with our depravity. Like, now wretched person. If you watch the Apostle Paul, 
his view of himself, the older he gets, gets like this, less and less and less and less. Until the end of his life when he's in prison, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. A wretched man. Like, the, the older he gets, the, the more he matures in his faith, his view of God is getting larger, and his view of himself is getting smaller. He's not impressed with himself. And, and I remember crossing that line one time where, where Jesus was kind of my Savior, to the point where I crossed that he was fully my Savior. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, there was a time where I told my wife everything I never wanted to say, and I had, I, the Spirit convinced me, once you cross this line, you're going to need to fully trust that I got it. And I said, like, I don't want to cross that line, because if I cross that line, I'm going to, I might, I might lose everything. Okay, I trust you. I trust you, God. He goes, and I jump, and I, I stepped across that line, across that line to be fully known. Why? Because I, at that time, I believe Jesus was my full Savior. I encourage everybody to do that. Just say, I'm going for broke, Jesus. You better be real. You better be the Savior, because I'm about to drop a bomb here, and I'm going to rely on you. Boom. And I think that's when I got saved. Which is like eight years ago. Set free. Set free. Set free. Okay, so... Wrapping up here, morning, morning. The, the scriptures talk about morning a lot. Isaiah 61 2. Um, Nations will rise, will see your kingdom. Uh, oh, wait, no, here. Isaiah 61 2. Jesus used this in his very first sermon in Nazareth. Remember when, he, when the scroll was given to him and he started reading this passage? I've been, uh, been sent to heal the broken hearts, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, right? And then Jesus stops. He stops there. But the Isaiah passage keeps going, and here's what it says. Our God's vengeance, um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to grieve them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. See, Jesus stops reading at that point in his sermon because there's something for the future. So when we look to the future, there will be a day where he wipes every tear away. So that, to me, says, how long do our tears last? Probably all of the way up until we see the Lord face to face, and then he wipes our tears away. How long does grief last? It only lasts as long as your person is gone. Right? It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. Right? Man, Sandy, you know this. You lost your husband a long time ago. And I'll be, I'll be driving down the freeway some, one day, and uh, I'll just, oh my gosh, why am I, why am I crying? Yeah, I'll be super happy one day, and it, it's, grief comes and goes. But what grief has taught me is to dive into community, right? It's, it's, it's caused me to dive into community with others, connect with others, and it's also got my eyes uh, focused on, on the Lord. Okay, so, morning, morning, morning. Right? We know that this word talks about those losing a loved one. We also know in context, looking at the verse before, that I'm mourning because I'm poor in spirit. I'm mourning because of sin. I'm mourning because of the effects of sin. Like, I don't know how many times I've, I've called Jerry and I'm like, you have such a bad parent. And I'll have to off the encouragement. Right? And, or I messed up again. And the enemy's trying to keep me down. And God said, this is what I'm for. This is why I'm relevant. You need me. You don't kind of need me, right? You fully need me. And that's what it means to be born in spirit. It's every day. I, have, I really have nothing to offer. And, and this, this has been one of the most freeing things to me. When I say, 
I actually can't do this. I cannot parent. I'm not capable. And guess what? I was never meant to parent perfectly. God has to do it through me. And I have to die and get out of the way and let God express himself through me. In me and through me. Through me and through me. One more passage here about mourning in, in the larger context of Paul. Look at 2 Corinthians 7, 9. And 2 Corinthians 7, 9 uh, says this. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. So if you, keep reading, if you read that whole book, he's, he's talking about some, he, Paul wrote a letter to these people and he caused them grief. And he's not sorry that he caused them grief, but he's talking about two different types of grief, right? Um, godly grief that produces repentance, that leads to salvation. Salvation just means deliverance, being set free from something. It's not always talking about hell. Sometimes it's talking about here in the present now, like, like our anger, our guilt, our greed, our jealousy. Worldly grief produces death. You know, like that constant um, shame or guilt or toxic shame. So godly grief really is what I'm grieving over my sinful state, being poor in spirit, and that should bring me to repentance. But the, but the grieving over death can bring me to that second grief, and that, can, that second grief can bring me to my, my perspective is back on God. And if grief is the means by which I experience God's presence, then, then bring the grief, because I need it. I need it. It's better to experience some grief that re re results in humility than to, than to not and become arrogant. But practically speaking, because we have so many people in here with, with grief, like, well, well, what do I do with my grief? I can see these scriptures, but something doesn't feel real. Well, I, I said that I've experienced through God's word, so pouring into his word, seeing things, and finding little gems, um, it's been amazing. And, and getting around people, you, you will realize that we live in a Me Too world. If you just start sharing your story, somebody's going to say, hey, Me Too. Me Too. And you'll connect. And maybe maybe our witnessing, maybe our evangelism should be more, less propositional, like, like, hey, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll be too, like, hey, can I just be honest with you and I'll tell you my story? And you'll see this connection. You'll, you'll, you'll connect on that very deep level of how God intended us to connect. And through God's presence, I have, I, I brought my journal here. I journal all, I journal all the time. That's been really helpful for me because I've just been studying and studying and then I'll write, I'll gather my thoughts and I'll go back years later and I'll, I'll read about where I was. And the, and the progression is amazing. Um, I've, I've gone to retreats that specialize in helping me with my grief. Now my mom goes to grief share. We're part of a 60 day grief reading plan on, on the Bible app. All these things that God's given us technology. Um, I was I was talking to a, an Air Force chaplain and he gave me this verse. I had never seen this verse. I read the Bible a couple times. I've never seen this one. He says, Ryan, check this out. Psalm 116, the death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. And then I got this image of my grandfather like waiting to see his kids and, and his grandkids just running up to him. He's like, oh, you're home. I missed you so much. And I picture everybody that's died, right? Your loved ones. Their death is pleasing to the Father because he's like, ah, you're home. And I called you at 66. I called this person from the womb. I called this person. It looked like an accident in the hospital. But it was me taking him home. I, I called your spouse home. 
it looked it looked premature. I know she was young, but I but I wanted her back. There are probably a billion ways to die, and not a single one of them surprises God. I have to remember that. Like God's not up here like, oops, I didn't see that one coming. It's like God's like, yeah, I I when I when people are done and I want them home, then I take them home. That's just what I do. And, and it's hard to think about this. There's no time in heaven, so like, do we all get there at the same time? I don't know. We all just show up like, oh, we're here. Or, I don't know. Or is it, or is it like, come on, it's taking forever. <laughs> so, and someone, someone also told me this. I don't know if this is theologically true, but he said, because Ryan, your dad misses you, but not enough to want to come back here. <laughs> I started laughing. I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's hilarious. So, so what, what am I going to do with my pain? Um, I, I wrestled. My good friend Travis asked me just yesterday, that, you know, pursuing a, a legal thing, going after it. What's that? What's the end state? And I really started to think about that. Like, okay, I could have some sort of earthly outcome, but if it's not an eternal outcome, then I, I probably don't want it. I don't want to pour into that. I want, want to focus on what's going on inside of me. My charge to all of us today is, is your pain serves a purpose. It's not purposeless, at least according to, to the word. God will comfort you. But when God comforts you, I find that he always does it through people and his word and his presence. Maybe, maybe all together. So imagine this, Paradigm Church, as a community, what, what would it look like if we didn't hide from our pain and we just we met together and we connected as a community and said, Here, here's exactly where I'm at. Because I think the Beatitudes is just eight categories of people admitting exactly where they're at. Not, not wanting to be somewhere where they're not, but just here's where I am. I really get angry when I see people doing this, when I see this new. Just here's where I'm at. And God, to meet you there, right where you're at, with other people. I think you and I will experience tremendous healing, and our pain will not go to waste. I, I, I can't believe that there are people who have lost their spouses, but when I see how they comfort others, it makes sense. And I've watched you love one another, comforting one another in the midst of your loss, and it brings us together. So can I, can I pray for us as we, as we close here? <laughs> uh, Father, thank you for comforting us in the midst of our grief, Lord. Some, some of this is really in it's present and it's, it's intense. And so we, we, we gather together as a community, showing up exactly where we're at, right? and, and we want to find healing from our grief and our loss by digging deep down into, into Jesus and his word. So we pray for healing. Teach us the number of our days. That's in Jesus' name.